Welcome to Interpride, a podcast by Interpride where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. As 2022 comes to an end, we realize that much has transpired and the impacts of some of the world's heaviest issues have affected many of us, especially our youths. Our special guest is Graham Robertson, who's a researcher, speaker, and activist from Toronto, Canada, and who just recently attended our World Conference. Let's listen to Graham touch on mental health for our youths and some solutions to help us move forward in 2023. Graham Robertson, he, him pronouns. First time I came out um, was to one of my best friends in high school. It was in the cafeteria uh, in 12th grade, and I just... I had a crush on this boy in my grade and I was like, oh my God, I need to tell someone. He was straight and we had no chance, didn't even know I existed, but I just, I had to tell my friend. So I sat her down and I told her and she was very supportive. And then after that, started telling a few more of my friends in our friend group and um, everyone was very supportive, thankfully. And I think that was a really empowering experience for me. We tend to think coming out is one of our top issues when we're younger. But it's, it's, it was hard to come out. But what other issues are you passionate about or do you think are critical in today's time when it comes to LGBTQIA plus two-spirit youths? Yeah, so I see it sort of in two ways. There's the um, individual issues that queer youth face every single day, like bullying, um, like unsafe, unwelcoming housing situations, poverty. um, So we can, it's easy sometimes to see those as kind of one-off issues, like, oh, this one queer person at my school is getting bullied or this one queer person at my school um, is experiencing poverty, uh, underemployment, whatever the case may be. But all of those factors are really contributing factors towards, as well as products of like systemic homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. And a lot of that is due to governments and policymakers and people in positions of power um, continuing to spew hatred uh, anti-gay, anti-trans hate. Um, you know, look at the don't say gay bills across the United States, for example. And here in Canada, for example, we had a number of uh, school board elections very recently over the past month. And there were a lot of anti-trans and anti-gay candidates running for school board positions. And so it's really important that we're addressing both of those. We're addressing both the everyday, like, you know, the issues that queer youth face every day, like bullying, unsafe families, but also looking at how we can, um, at a systemic level, work to address systemic homophobia and biphobia, organizing against candidates who are running on these really awful platforms um, and making sure that people who are creating laws in our countries, don't get elected? How can we make sure that people um, who have the best interest of our queer youth in mind are the ones who hold positions of power? And so I see it as sort of two sides of the same coin, if you will. I'm glad you brought up the election. I mean, America had an election as well. And and this applies to, you know, elections all over the world and queer people. But I had this 
this thought, this feeling how tired I am, like having to feel like I have to save humanity or I have to fight for humanity in the way that we elect these so-called leaders that sometimes may not always reflect what we need as, as human beings. So I wanted to get your thoughts about how young two-spirit LGBTQI plus people are handling or, or addressing their mental health today because of all of this, because of exactly what you just talked about. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up that point um, because we know that queer people in general face heightened mental health disorders like depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. um, And, you know, a lot of those factors are even more apparent among Indigenous, Black, and racialized queer people, trans youth. um, So really thinking about the intersections of their identities and how those can make a lot of these mental health issues worse. And of course, COVID has definitely had a negative toll on the mental health impacts of queer youth. As I talked about earlier, sort of unsafe housing situations. And so when you are a queer young person and your school goes online and you don't have the financial resources to move out, um, you're stuck isolating with oftentimes unsafe and unwelcoming family members and hostile family members. And so COVID has exacerbated a lot of these mental health uh, issues that queer youth are facing today. Um, And so it's so, so important that in these spaces, when we're doing organizing work, that we have the resources and the space and the capacity to address the mental health impacts of organizing by having culturally competent mental health resources, you know, having a trans mental health provider who can provide culturally competent care to trans youth. I think a lot of the time as marginalized folks, we feel like it's our responsibility to do this work. And certainly we have the expertise, we have the lived experience to do this work effectively, but that comes at a cost, right? Like you talked about it, Michelle, like it leads to burnout and it shouldn't be just our responsibility. Um, When I was at the Interpride World Conference and I was presenting, someone in the audience made made a very good point about the fact that like, oftentimes we're speaking to our own communities about things that we should be doing to liberate ourselves. But who is talking to the people outside of our communities? Who's talking to the you know, the so-called allies and the people who are elected to actually fix these things for us and to help our communities. And so certainly providing mental health supports and resources within our communities is important, but it's also important to call on the people outside of the queer community to do that heavy work, do that labor, to make things better for us so that we're not the only ones fighting our own battles, because we shouldn't. We shouldn't be the ones fighting our battles for ourselves. It's incumbent on everyone in the community to practice allyship and practice meaningful allyship. A lot of the, the times people see being an ally as an identity, but of course it's a practice. And so practicing meaningful allyship every day means taking that burden away from queer people and queer youth who feel that responsibility to do this organizing work for themselves. What you might feel queer youths need right now. Anything else to add? not necessarily focused on just mental health, but any other thoughts on what queer youths need today? Yeah, there are a lot of things that queer youth 
need today. So I'll start off with schools. You know, I went to Catholic school my whole life, as I mentioned, and so I never saw myself represented in the curriculum. But in publicly funded education systems and in all education, all education systems, really, it's important that we are talking about queer issues, trans issues, letting queer people, queer youth see themselves reflected in their curricula so that they don't feel like, oh, I'm a freak or I'm different from my peers, understanding that um, they are part of this long line of beautiful, vibrant, colorful people who make up this amazing community. And so firstly, changing the education system and what we're teaching so that queer people see themselves reflected in what they learn, but also so that non-queer youth can practice meaningful allyship to their peers and, you know, educate themselves. So that's one thing. I would say within organizing spaces too, reducing the barriers to queer youth engaging in these activist spaces. So for example, conferences, that's one example, having a low cost or no cost option for queer youth to participate in conferences and have access to the same information um, to learn and improve their own activist work is another important thing. Um, Safety considerations. I think when we're talking about activist spaces, how do we ensure that queer youth who aren't necessarily out or are still figuring out their identity are still able to participate in these spaces in a meaningful way? Um, and so thinking about how can we preserve anonymity um, and just making sure that queer youth are able to engage in these organizing activist spaces in a way that they feel comfortable in. And so there are a lot of things that we can do as activists as educators, and then of course, as I mentioned, policymakers, governments, businesses, people with the financial and political power to affect change and make things safer, I would say, for queer youth. Safe spaces for queer youths. I feel like that continues to be a big thing that we need to consider, like you said. I'd love to get your thoughts as a you know two-spirit LGBTQI plus um, youth or someone who works with youths, where they see themselves in the pride movement and any recommendations that you might have to make it so that youths feel that, you know, they're part of pride if they don't feel reflected? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that's really important to understand is that while youth issues are very specific and need to be addressed in a specific way, they're not sort of side issues. They are whole issues affecting hundreds and thousands of people and need to be integrated into every single activity that um, that a Pride organization does. And so during the planning process for a Pride festival or for a parade, um, having queer youth at the organizing table, advocating for their own needs and being part of every decision that is made for the Pride Uh, for the festival or for whatever event is taking place to ensure that their needs are accurately reflected. And so having and giving queer youth a seat at the table to advocate for themselves. I think also too, when we're talking about sort of safety and, um, you know, creating an accessible space for queer youth, um, maybe this will sound a little 
controversial, I don't know, but I think thinking about how alcohol is involved in a lot of um, sort of pride events and queer events, like certainly bars and clubs and have always been important to our community, but thinking about how that might limit the participation of queer youth in some of these spaces is so important because, you know, we want to ensure that we're able to access um, or reach everyone of all ages. And then another thing too, as I mentioned earlier, is having that intergenerational dialogue. I think there's a lot that queer youth can learn from people who have been part of these organizing spaces for decades, but there's also a huge opportunity for established experienced organizers to learn new tactics and learn about new issues from queer youth today. And so really having that open mind and having that willingness to put queer youth at the forefront um, of a pride movement, being able to learn from queer youth about the work that they're doing. And so organizing sessions um, where queer youth can talk about the work that they're doing is so important and really just putting them front and center in a lot of these festivals and movements, um, being able to learn from queer youth organizing from around the world. Again, I'm going back to the Don't Say Gay um, bill in the States, but there's been a huge uh, surgence of, you know, queer high school students and queer youth organizing in response to that legislation. And so what can pride movements around the world learn from those fantastic activists and organizers in order to integrate queer youth perspectives into their own organizing work every single day. Thank you so much, Graham. And thank you to all of those who have contributed here to Interpod, all of the voices of our community and all the folks who spoke for our movement, the LGBTQIA movement. It is because of your voices on this platform in which we call attention to the issues that are most critical to our movement and our hope is that we find solutions to the problems that we face. To hear more episodes of Interpod, you can visit interpride.org. We look forward to more conversations in 2023. I'm Michelle Miao, host of Interpod, a podcast by Interpride where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community.